I'm supposed to be a finely tuned instrument. Like I said, I don't know much about instruments, but I know enough to say if a guitar is out of tune, it's going to throw off the sound. No matter how good of a guitarist you are, it's going to sound different. And as children of God, to be an instrument that God could use to praise and glorify Him, we have to be finely tuned. From Ephesians 1 this morning, we have an array of descriptions given to what it means to be a child of God, blessed by Him, and as we come to grapple and understand these things, we can be a finely tuned and become increasingly tuned to sing His praises. There are so many different ways we can approach our text for this morning, and many of them are just as valid. The way I've chosen is the way that gave me a great aha moment as I was on a train on the way home from work on a Wednesday. And as I was reading some other commentaries, they pointed out this very fact, that we see the triune God of the Bible in different forms here and how, the, how God works in harmony to bring about salvation. And I say the triune God of the Bible because as Christians we believe that God is one. That there is one God with three persons. We believe that God the Father is God. Throughout the Bible we are told, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. Jesus is God. We see that from John 1 where it says, And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Referring to Jesus as the Word. In Acts 5, we get a very clear description that the Holy Spirit is God. When Peter tells Ananias and Sapphira, he said, You've lied not against man, but against God. After he had just told them, you lied to the Holy Spirit. So God is one, but three persons. And here in Ephesians 1, we see how this great triune trinity, God of the Bible, works in perfect harmony to save us. We'll see how the Father selected us to be set apart. We'll see how the Son has saved us from sin. And we'll see how the Spirit sealed us, bringing security. And as we come to understand these things, we can grow in being an instrument that can be played for God's glory. All of these, though, all these blessings in Christ begin with the fact that God chose us before the foundation of the world. He selected us before the world was created. He predestined us to salvation before the world came into existence. And we have to grapple with some of these difficult concepts as well as the ones that are upfront and beautiful to our eyes very naturally if we're going to be an instrument of praise to God. If you notice, in verse uh, 5, it says, He predestined us, referring to the Father, for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. That phrase shows up three times in our passage. How these things are done so that God will be praised. Would you look with me at verse 1 as I begin to read from there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, 
and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then our text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. I'm going to stop right there for now. And I want us to recognize this very fact that the triune God of the Bible has chosen you who are children of God to be an instrument of praise to Him. And I want you to love that reality. That God chose you to be an instrument of praise to Him. Well, as we open up this text, would you bow with me in prayer as we commit ourselves to the Lord? God in heaven, we give you praise. Lord, I recognize that there is far more in this passage than I will ever understand in this life. There's far more in this passage than what we'll be able to talk about for that reason in these 40 minutes. But Lord, would you bless these efforts, God, to unpack your word and and mine its treasures, God. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit might empower me in a fresh way, oh God, even now. And that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see the riches of your word. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 3 begins with this statement that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, referring to believers, children of God, in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing that God has in heaven belongs to those who are in Christ. We've been adopted into His family. We've been redeemed. We are forgiven. We are given hope. We are given joy. We are given peace. And every blessing belongs to those who are children of God. But every blessing begins with this one fact. That the Father selected us to be set apart. That the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. As you see in verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. God chose us before we were in existence. God's choosing is not like our choosing. You go to Dominic's, you go to Strachan Van Til's or Jewel, and you want to get apples. And you want to handpick your own apple because you don't want to buy the bag. You don't trust all the apples in that bag are going to be good. So you go to the apple section and you have this little mound. You begin to pick them up. You feel to see if they're bruised. You want the right size, the right color. If the person just brought them out and put them there on the stack, you're even happier because then they're fresh. And you fill your bag up, you take it to the register and you put it in your car after you buy it. 
and you're happy because you think you've got a very high likelihood of having some good apples. That's how we choose. God's choosing is not like ours. God doesn't choose based on appearance. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that He chose the weak, the despised things of the world. God's choosing is not like ours because He doesn't choose us because He knows that one day we will trust in Him because then we have reason to boast. God chose me because He knew I trust in Him. Look at me. God chose us before the world began because He then receives the glory. His choosing is not like our choosing. So if we were apples and God is the shopper, He doesn't choose us at the store. In fact, He chooses us before that. Not when we're on the tree. Not when we're seeds. Not when there was dirt to put the seed in or water to moisten the dirt. God chose before the foundation of the earth. Not when you were in your mother's womb. Not before your mom was in her mom's womb. He did it before anything was in existence. Because then He would receive the glory when we come to Him as He chose us to do. Some people have a hard time with this understanding that God chooses people or that God would predestine us. I've heard people turn off this idea. But the reality is, the Bible tells us right here, in verse 5, that in love, He predestined us. Verse 4, He says He chose us. Verse 11, He predestined according to His purpose. So God clearly predestines those who will come to Him. Unfortunately, many are turned off because they came across someone who was really arrogant about this. Someone who wanted to debate or fight about it. And that's an unfortunate thing because then God doesn't receive glory but we're pushed away from the thing that the Bible teaches is true of Him. But rather, let us embrace this reality that God chose us before the foundation of the world not to fight, not to tear down, but that it would be, as verse 6 says, to the praise of His glorious grace. I believe it's essential for us to embrace this thing, this fact, if we're going to be a finely tuned instrument that God can use for the worship and praise of Him. We have to come to grips with this and grapple with even the difficult things. Some people might think, well, if God chose us, then are we simply puppets? That He just move our arms around to do as He wishes? And I understand that concern. But so does God, as He inspired Paul. Because here in this very passage, He addresses this very issue. Because we have seen in verse 4, God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. It's His choice when we come to Him. He's chosen us. But look at verse 13. It says, In Him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word proclaimed, the gospel, and when you believed, you were sealed. Here we see how God chooses, but how we are called to believe. 
And there's a wonderful mystery there. Not a contradiction. Contradictions mean that some things, that, that the two things held together are no longer true. That one is right, the other is wrong. Because we can't wrap our minds around something doesn't mean it's false. And the fact that God chose us and He calls us to believe are to be held together. A mystery, a paradox, if you will. Two things that we can't understand are held together in perfect harmony. Because that's how God works. Even though our minds can't necessarily grasp that. He chose us. He selected us before the foundations of the world. You want to know what it means to be a finely tuned instrument that embraces this reality? There's a missionary named Kristen Carlson who lives in Zambia. And I was brought this illustration from John Piper. Because he says this understanding that God chooses us before the foundations of the world should produce in us a radical mission-mindedness. And sometimes people go the opposite and say, if God chooses, then why should we go out and do missions or tell people about the Lord? And then Piper brings this illustration to mind. Kristen Carlson is a missionary in Zambia who works with street kids. And she works for Action International, which is neat because Doug Nichols is the director of that mission organization. We as a church here at Good News support Doug Nichols. He's one of our missionaries. But she wrote a letter to her home church. And this is what she says about God choosing of her. She writes, First of all, I am thankful for God's unfathomable grace in choosing me. I have done nothing to deserve this. And I continually marvel at my Father's goodness to me. The reason I am thankful to be chosen is because I know what I have been chosen for. Chosen to proclaim the excellencies of God. Chosen to be eternally satisfied in God through Jesus. Chosen to live in light and not darkness. Chosen to taste and see that He is good. I pray that we would recognize that God and His choosing of you to be His child would stir your heart and blow you away when you think about the fact that God, I am undeserving. We talked about this last week and the week before. We are undeserving. But God, you would choose me before the foundation of the world. But there's also another purpose as is mentioned here in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God has selected us to be set apart. Personal holiness is a byproduct of our recognition that God has chosen us. We strive for holiness out of an act of worship to God. So oftentimes we look at our struggles and we say, God, why, why are these things like this? I think oftentimes it's because the focus is on ourselves and we redirect our minds onto God and on His gracious and merciful work, such as Him choosing us before the foundation of the world. In verse 5, it says, In love, He predestined us for adoption. God's predestining of us is part of an outflow of His love for us. To be part of His family, adopted in. 
To be called a son or a daughter of the living God. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. Which he has blessed us in the beloved. To be a finely tuned instrument of God. We must recognize and fully embrace this idea that God has chosen us. He has selected us to be set apart. That our lives would declare his praise. As we walk and pursue holiness. And upright living. Another spiritual blessing, another way we become finely tuned instruments is to recognize that the Son has saved us from sin. Look at verse 7. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's a lot there. There's a ton there. But he begins the fact that we have redemption through His blood. This past week, a very sad thing took place. It was on Friday. Santi and I were talking in the church office, and out the window she could see a, a, a police SUV come down the street and was double parked there in the middle. And we could tell they were um, trying to un, uh, unload somebody to bring them into the mission home. We couldn't make out who the person was. I mean, the police officer looked at the window and kind of said to us, do you know this person? So we went outside and there was a man who lives in the mission home who couldn't stand on his own. And we were going to try to help him upstairs, but he just literally could not muster the strength to stand up. He fell to his knees and then laid on the ground in the middle of the street. The officers asked him, What happened? He said, all I had were three beers. And they said, well, when's the last time you had a beer before that? He said, it's been a year. And then he mentioned something about coming out of a methadone clinic. And we understand he's on other antidepressants. And this mixture of substances threw him off completely. And what really saddened me is that he said he was out drinking with some friends. And the cops said they found him on a bus stop. And I told him, I said... Where are those friends at right now? Where are your friends? See, those aren't, those aren't friends. You're lying in the middle of a street. You can't stand on your own strength. Those are not friends who abandoned you. I told him, Jesus loves you, Mark. This is not what he wants for your life. He can give you a new life. He wasn't too responsive at that point, even though I know he understood what I was saying. And then he had to call an ambulance in and take him away because he couldn't make it up to the third floor where he lived. Mark needs redemption by the blood of Jesus. The word redemption means release from. To be pulled away from a bondage. The bondage is sin that Jesus redeemed us from. And when he redeems us, we don't go back. Once a butterfly leaves its cocoon, it never returns back into it because there's been a release that took place a redemption and Paul tells us here that one of these spiritual blessings in Christ is that we've been saved from sin redeemed by the blood and he says that we've received forgiveness from our sins this forgiveness comes because God he says in verse 7 
according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. God's grace has been lavished upon us in a remarkable way, in such a way that redeems us and forgives us and gives us a new life. This idea of having His grace lavished upon us comes through our mind when my father-in-law told me about painting his bedroom. They had a bedroom that was all white and then my mother-in-law wanted to paint it rapture red. And that's going to take a lot of coats, right? So he did what he was supposed to do. He got the pink primer and primed all the walls, got his red, his rapture red paint and painted. One coat, sucked, it got seeped right through and you can see the white, the, the white still. Next coat, next coat. And every time he put a coat on, the previous color kept coming through. The white paint was so strong that no matter how much he primed and coated, it kept coming back. And finally, with enough coats, enough coats, the beauty of the color red came forth without the hindrance of the prior color. And when I think of God's grace being lavished upon us, I think of that. How we have a prior identity. One in bondage of sin. Stained by the realities of sin, if you will. But God's grace has been lavished on us. And perhaps our sin may want to come forth through the colors of God's grace. But it comes on lavished, on and on. And before we know it, there is no sense, no sign of our old self. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The prior is gone. The new has come. And God's grace has been lavished upon us. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And it covers us, giving us a new life. And if we see the triune God of the Bible works to bring about our salvation, we've seen that the Father selected us before the world began. And that the Son would save us from our sin and offer grace upon grace without measure to give us a new life for those who would trust in Jesus dead and risen from the grave. In verse 10, we're showed that in the fullness of time, all these things, all things will come under subjection of Jesus, under His feet. And every knee will bow, Philippians 2 tells us, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. God works in these ways to glorify Himself. And we have to be people who embrace His work and understand it and pursue it and let it show in our lives that we could be an instrument of praise to Him. Verse 11 continues on. It says, In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Now, the first to, first to hope in Christ is quite interesting because Paul talks about we who are first to hope in Christ. But if you look at verse 13, you see, in him, you also, when you heard. The pronoun changes. So in verses 11 and 12, he speaks of we, and in 13 and 14, he talks about you. And I believe what Paul is getting at here is, he's talking about him as a Jew at first, as a Jewish Christian. He says, in him, in verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. We, the Jewish believers, have been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to His will. The Jews were chosen by God to be the bearers of the 
Messiah. And it says that they were the first to hope in Christ in verse 12. And that they hope in Christ might be to the praise and glory of Christ. So these Jewish believers were predestined to come to Jesus so they could give Him praise and glory. But we're not left out, us Gentiles, if you're like me, non-Jews. Because in verse 13, in Him you also, and then at the bottom, verse 14, to the praise of His glory. Jews and Gentiles alike were created and brought into salvation for those who trust in Jesus for the praise and the glory of God. So we've seen how the Father selected, how the Son saved, and now we look at how the Spirit seals us in verse 13. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, we looked at this just a moment ago, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. At the moment of our conversion, the Holy Spirit puts a seal upon us and we belong to God. And it says that He is a guarantee of our inheritance. That God has sealed us and we could be secure in Him. This idea, this idea of a seal is a one that we're familiar with. If you get a letter in the mail and it's open, the seal is broken, you know the letter has been compromised. If you come home from the grocery store and you open your, you pull your milk out of the bag and the seal is broken, you think the milk is suspect. Something's in danger there. You're not going to drink that. In the first century, when they would send a letter, they put a wax seal on it and they'd stamp it with a, a ring or some other stamp that signified who the letter was coming from. That way when it arrived to that person, they can know it arrived here safely. It has the seal of the person who sent it. And when something is sealed, they could, it guarantees the fact that what is inside is authentic. It guarantees that what has arrived has arrived safely. And when the Spirit seals us at the moment of our conversion, at the moment we trust in Jesus, He confirms the fact that this salvation is authentic and that we will arrive at our destination in heaven at the end of time. The Holy Spirit has sealed us to give us that hope. It gives us security. Now, I can't overlook this phrase when it says, when you heard the word of truth. See, they came to know Jesus because the word was preached to them. In Acts 19, we find that Paul actually was the one who went to the city of Ephesus and preached the gospel to them. And there's a neat statement there in Acts chapter 19. I'm going to read it at verse 20. Actually, I'll go to verse 19. And a number of those, this is referring to the people in Ephesus, who had practiced magic arts, witchcraft essentially, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. This is after they trusted in Christ. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And then the statement, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The word of the Lord continued to prevail mightily. And indeed, it indeed prevailed in the lives of those who were in the city of Ephesus 
Because they believed in the gospel of their salvation. I love preaching. I absolutely love preaching. Not for the same reason as the little boy who told his mom during church, said, Mom, I want to be a preacher. As, a, as he saw the pastor preaching, the mom was so happy. She said, Son, why is that? He's like, well, because the, the preacher gets to stand up in front of everybody, has a microphone, and tells them what to do. That's not why I like preaching. We get to open the Word of God together. These are the very words of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. And here we are opening it together. And there is a power in the Word and it prevails mightily in our lives. And those who have known Jesus, who have placed our trust in Him, we know how it's prevailed in our life as we have hope, as we've been sealed. The Word of truth, the Gospel of our salvation, has been preached. And we see a close connection here between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. See, it's the Holy Spirit who inspired the Scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit that illuminates our eyes so we can see. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us words to speak when we proclaim it. It's the Holy Spirit who moves the hearts of people to receive it. It's the Holy Spirit who seals us when we believe in it. And it's the Holy Spirit who guarantees that it will come through on what it's promised. So there's a close connection between the Spirit of God and the Word preached. And Paul brings it out here. And as we embrace this beautiful truth, verse 14, the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That is the outcome. I mentioned that God doesn't necessarily want us to play an instrument for worship. But rather to ask, are we an instrument that can be played for worship? Have we grappled with the things of God to make ourselves fine-tuned? Have we embraced the redemption there is in Jesus and let it outflow in praise so as God strums our heart, He might receive glory? The Father selected us to be set apart, holy and blameless. That our lives might reflect the privilege we have of being chosen before the foundation of the world. We have to embrace that beautiful thing and celebrate that before God. To celebrate how the Son saved us when we were dead in our sin and lavished His grace upon us. And how the Holy Spirit seals us at the moment of our conversion to secure us and give us assurance of salvation. We have a choice to believe or disbelieve or unbelieve in these things. And as children of God, our only choice is to believe. If we don't understand some of it, we can't wrap our minds around it, that's okay. But let us strive to know. And may we recognize and love the fact that the triune God of the Bible 
has chosen us to be an instrument of praise to Him. Dear people of God, that is His will for us in our lives. And what are you doing to be well-tuned? Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, I recognize there are many weighty things there, Lord. Here in Ephesians 3, verses, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And Lord, even as we reflect on these weighty things, we're reminded how glorious they are. God, will we honor you in celebrating them and reflecting upon these beautiful realities? Lord, will we be instruments that sound glorious and beautiful to your ears? And may a world around us who are without instruments desire the joy and peace we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, will we take the good news of this salvation and be not ashamed about it. In Jesus' name, amen. The band leads us in his last song. There will be prayer counselors who come forward now. And if you want to be prayed for, if your life hasn't been holy and blameless before the Lord as a chosen child of His and you want someone to pray with you, come forward. If you don't know about redemption, the setting free that Jesus offers, if you don't know the grace that He lavishes on those who are His children, come forward and be prayed for. If you don't know the assurance that there is that the Holy Spirit seals us with, would you ask someone to pray with you? that you might find the hope and know the freeing life and joy there is in Jesus. Please stand as we sing. Before the dawn